Hey everyone, this is Emery. You're listening to Tech Policy Grind. And if you are just now tuning in, if you're a new listener, or maybe you just haven't been paying attention to your podcast feed this week, I've got some great news. This is but one of five special bonus episodes of Tech Policy Grind that we've been releasing all week of interviews and discussions that Joe and I had at State of the Net 2018, the largest internet policy conference in the country, hosted by our parent organization, the Internet Education Foundation. If you have been listening all week, we really hope you've enjoyed this. It's been exciting and a lot of fun to try something new with TPG. So if you've liked what you've heard this week, if you want to hear more like it, let us know. We are still continually fishing for reviews on iTunes, but you can reach out to us on Twitter at Tech Policy Grind, and we'd really love to hear from you. Today, we're wrapping up our week of bonus Tech Policy Grind episodes with a conversation Joe and I had with Dr. Betsy Cooper, Executive Director of the Berkeley Center for Long-Term Cybersecurity. We talked about the most pressing issues facing cybersecurity, and we had an extremely fun dive into a topic I had personally never thought about, cybersecurity at the Olympics. So keep it tuned right here for the whole interview. And from everyone here at Tech Policy Grind, we hope that you've enjoyed this week of bonus content. We'll be back to a normal release schedule next week with a regularly scheduled episode of Tech Policy Grind coming next Monday, February 12th. Okay, so with all that said, please sit back and enjoy the last conversation of the day with Dr. Betsy Cooper of Berkeley Center for Long-Term Cybersecurity at State of the Net 2018. Hey everyone, paying attention to the Tech Policy Grind. This is Joseph Jerome. I'm sitting next to Emery Rohn. And for our final interview of the day, we are joined by Dr. Betsy Cooper, who is the Executive Director for the Berkeley Center for Long-Term Cybersecurity. Uh, she was just on a panel here at Say of the Net on uh, the wizard's brew of cybersecurity beyond money and mischief. Um, so, well, what is this wizard's brew and what do we need to know? Well, so I think today's panel was really about bringing together government industry and outsiders like myself to think about what the key threats are coming down the pipeline. Um, and interestingly, there was actually a lot of convergence between the panelists. They hmm. were really, uh, all. everybody is worried that the internet as it stands does not have security baked in and that we're heading in the wrong direction. And while I think the different participants had slightly different angles on what to fix, uh, it was pretty clear that everybody agreed that that problem exists and needs to be thought about more. Hmm. Who so what do you mean by that? I mean, can we unpack a little bit well about what it means that the internet doesn't have security baked in? And are we looking for some sort of like DRM option built into HTML or mm -hmm. what? Where am I going with this? <laughs> yeah, so I think it's a couple different layers. So th there's definitely a subset of the population that is actually interested in are the protocols that we have today strong enough to withstand the future of the internet with the right. internet of things, with artificial intelligence. So that's a question about the fundamentals of the internet. But then I think there's just a broader sort of policy set of questions around how do we encourage you know, good behavior on the internet? So even if we assume that the basic infrastructure will stay the same, uh, right now, the average hacker probably doesn't face a whole lot of penalty for their activities, and in many cases, financially benefits, maybe benefits in other capacities of their lives. So, so I think there was also a concern about, okay, even if we keep things the way they are, mm -hmm. where should we be going to try to set standards or to try to create a more level playing field on the internet so that the good guys have an advantage over the bad guys? And where, do you, where does that happen? I mean, who we, I've been asking people <laughs> over and over, who's the we here? Is this, right. is this industry? Um, is this civil society? Is is there a role here for law and regulation? Like, who's the we? 
Well, so at least from the other panelists, the consensus was around industry standards. Okay. So both the government participants and the industry participants denied an interest in regulation and instead were focused mm. on setting industry standards. Um, I guess from my personal perspective, that has some benefits for sure, but it also leads to some risks because there's lack of enforcement uh, when you just have standards. And if somebody chooses to decide to move away from those standards, it can lead to a very quick race to the bottom. Sure. Um, and so I think it needs to be an open conversation where we actually put all of the different options on the table. I don't necessarily think that we should run to regulation, but I don't think we should be so quick to take it off the table either. Okay. And there should also be sort of a standard backup plan. Maybe it's a great idea to start with industry standards to begin with, but if that doesn't work, then maybe we should know what our next step will be so that there's some sort of response in Do it. Do you have any thoughts on time frame here? Mm -hmm. Because we, I feel like we're all over the place and this is a critical issue we got to get fixed now or it's going right. to be years before we get this done or as Mike just had in our last panelist you know this is a critical issue but if we try to fix it now we're going to mess up so badly <laughs> that it'll make it worse so maybe we should be careful and take this a little slower well so I definitely think that you know it's difficult to come up with a time frame. The yeah. answer will definitely not be now uh, because <laughs> we're not having that. We're not even beginning to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that while uh, I understand the desire for a slow, steady approach, that allows people to slow walk from actually making progress. Right. So what I'd like to see is a real energy behind trying to solve problems, recognize that it can't happen today, but maybe set a time frame of 12 to 18 months to try to make a difference. And part of the reason you want to do that is that the AI technology, the IoT technology, all of these things are expanding so quickly on that time horizon that we don't want to get into a situation where we actually realize the whole thing's broken and we haven't been trying to plan along the way. Are, are you bullish on the IoT? I, I think of it as something like the Internet of Insecure thing. It's like <laughs> a really good Twitter handle everyone should follow. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, so... I'm bullish on the opportunity that IoT provides, but just in every aspect of our work, we always ask, do you need to add technology to this thing to make it better? Um, so in the Internet of Things, you know, the example we we're using today is the smart washing machine. Mm -hmm. That everybody's going to have to buy a smart washing machine because there won't be any dumb washing machines available. Now I'm thinking to myself, what benefits will washing machines actually have if they're connected to the Internet? My answer is, I don't actually know. Like My <laughs> spin cycle seems to be fine yeah. without the internet, so why introduce the vulnerability? Said, all right, so the smart washer that dries your clothes and then folds it automatically, so you can put if it in the morning, it, that I'd would be, be on awesome, board But I don't 100%. even know why you'd need the internet. You just need a good robot, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but so then you could check it from work on your insecure smartphone app. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but so I guess, you know, from our perspective, you wonder, why we need that technology and the answer mm. is the consumer probably doesn't it's the company that wants to collect the data yes the same that's thing true. with you know for instance um, I'm perfectly happy using Facebook on my web browser but Facebook is constantly telling me to download their app and it's not because I will get better functionality from mm -hmm. you know Facebook is working fine as it is it's because they would like to have access to what I'm doing on my phone through the app and the same is true for, for all these different right situations. everyone wants to become a data company exactly and so if if we're in a situation where we're all trying to build a data company, then we need to look back at the Internet of Things and say, where are we really getting value added 
versus where could we stick with the dumb devices and have the same sort of functionality. And as consumers, we need to be in a position where we're actually trying to push forward and say something about that rather than just passively taking what, what companies and governments are giving us. Okay. So is there, when we were speaking earlier about the, the consensus, at least on the panelists here, that industry uh, would like to work with themselves and make standards. Mm -hmm. I, I am really interested in nuts and bolts. And even if it's like we haven't even g made the first steps in that area, but is anyone talking about what does it mean when we say that we'd like to establish standards to improve our cybersecurity? How does that function for, I mean, a consumer perspective? It's a great question. Um, I've not been in any conversations okay. where people are getting <laughs> to the nuts and bolts yet. Um, we have had conversations with a few industry partners that have expressed interest in getting there. Mm -hmm. And I think especially at the end of last year, there was sort of a real interest in starting to think through how that could work. I yeah. can't imagine if Equifax <laughs> and WannaCry and all those things made a difference um, in that space. But what I'm hearing now is that we still don't have consensus around the principles of what we want to accomplish. So right. let's be concrete. Um, let's take attribution as, a, as an issue. Right. Um, there's a lot of interest in trying to get some system in which we can attribute who has done a hack, you know, for mm -hmm. shaming purposes and potentially for penalties. But there's a lot of disagreement around who should be doing that. Should that be government? Should that be industry? Should that be engagement uh, between these groups and in what capacity? Yeah. And so, you know, I think there's great interest in trying to figure out like what sorts of actual structures, what are the practical mechanisms that we could do this? How do you set standards in that space? But the big question hasn't been resolved, which is who is in the room in the first place? Mm -hmm. And so what you're finding, in all, and that's just one example, but in a lot of these spaces, there's movement towards, well, before we can do the practical, we got to set the principles. And so I but think that there's a lot of risk, interest. Do you risk, though, learning the, the problem of like establishing your principles that are not practically possible? Uh, I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, and in the internet, well, that's definitely true. Uh, but I think that uh, overall, you do have to have a common framework before you can uh, make decisions about practical implementation, or at least those two things need to be working in parallel. And so I think that's part of the reason why you're not seeing the sort of nitty-gritty practical yeah. conversations that might be you know, in our wheelhouse, but we're not quite there yet. And so the question becomes, how do you bring stakeholders together in order to try to get there faster? Hmm. So I want to segue to a topic that you indicated that you were interested in talking about through email uh, <laughs> that I hadn't even considered until I saw the words in the email. Um, <laughs> cybersecurity in the Olympics. Well, I'm glad I could surprise you. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I was, uh, you hear, I mean, obviously, security in, in the Olympics mm -hmm. uh, has a very storied history, but you don't typically think of cybersecurity as playing a very big role in the Olympics. So I, I'm just going to punt that to you. What, what were you thinking when you sent that to me, and what, what should I be thinking about it? Sure. Well, so uh, we recently published a report and also did a uh, USA Today op-ed on this subject. So we're trying to push uh, the conversation forward. But so, you know, even in the Olympics that starts next week, you can imagine that there's been a huge increase in digitization of sports. Yeah. So it used to be that the only digital things might be Wi-Fi in the stadium or some wired connected scoreboards. Oh. But now... As oh. you start to think about all the different digital it's devices, like your eyes are just yeah. opening up to the possibilities. I IoT and the yeah. sensors on yeah. the on, on all Com the metric tracking for the 
wow, okay. Well, so here, let me use a concrete example. US Open just finished yesterday, right? So Hawkeye is this technology that they use in tennis, which helps determine whether the ball is in or out. Mm -hmm. And in a tennis match where Hawkeye is employed, not only does the umpire have to use this technology, but the umpire can be overruled. So if the umpire uh -huh. says the ball's in, Hawkeye says it's out, Hawkeye wins every time. And I just remember that I'm streaming because my mouth has just been like hanging <laughs> open. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. So now if you imagine, we're in a world in which it's not just tennis that has incorporated these sorts of technologies. Oh. We have all sorts of automated sensors. You might remember Michael Phelps and yeah. the other guy whose name I can't remember hitting the wall at Brody the same time in the right. Beijing Olympics. Who decided who won that race? It was an electronic sensor. Interesting. Well, we're now in this world in which every major sport is looking at new technologies. And again, it goes back to the same principles. Do these technologies actually help make the sport better? Um, so yeah. gymnastics, for instance, is looking at introducing an automated scoring system in which it tells you whether a leap hits 180 degrees or how long you held a strength move or things like that. Maybe that can provide some help. But there's also a big risk that if somebody gets in and hacks this, oh, exactly. And we, we have a real see, big issue here. Well, we see huge amounts of money being put towards Russian doping. So I mean, it's, it's, it's and betting. But it seems like pushing back against this trend is really hard. Like I, right. I, I'm as soon as you're talking about this, I see the benefits or the appeal for why you want to deploy these technologies. Mm -hmm. So like, it seems like you're sort of proposing a cautionary approach. Think about it. But is there anything that they could be doing? Any type of like audit trail that you can deploy immediately? I mean, probably not going to happen next week. Right. <laughs> you know, maybe in 2020. Exactly. Well, so you need to have a backup plan. Okay. Um, and you need to have paper backup equivalents for each of these things. So to give you a concrete example, in 2000 in the Sydney Olympics, there was actually a physical error where in uh, the women's gymnastics final, they set the vaulting horse in the incorrect place. And so half of the competitors competed with the wrong vaulting horse. You can imagine the digital equivalent being that the scoring system's been hacked, right. and so the first couple rotations occur with a scoring system that is later proved to be faulty. Hmm. Now, what happened in the Sydney Olympics, they didn't have a plan for what to do if there was an equipment failure, so they were making it up on the fly. <laughs> I don't think we should be in the position, especially with something as important with the Olympic Games, as having that. So if you're going to incorporate digital technologies, you need to know what the backup plan is if that fails. So in the gymnastics case, do you have human judges sure. redo the scores? Do you recompete the event later? Like, What's your plan and how are you going to handle it? And ideally, you have a way to do the thing without the digital system that could have been compromised. So we were talking about washing machines a few minutes ago, right? It'd be nice that if the digital systems fail on my washing machine, I can still wash my clothes. Um, and the equivalent here would be, it would be great to have a way to compete the sporting event and have it be successful, even if there is an issue with the digital system. So we've had a long day here, and we were talking about this beforehand. It's been a lot of doom and gloom, particularly around cybersecurity. Yep. I guess we're punting it to you. It's the end of the day. <laughs> Give us... Give us something good. What is good here? That being said, though, I have to say it's it is refreshing and entertaining <laughs> to have a discussion on cybersecurity around the Olympics, where like the problem is really serious, but you know it's it's the Olympics. It's I'm not talking about the stability of my democracy or like, <laughs> you know whether I'm going to get ransomware and lose all my data. It's this is it's an interesting way of bringing the discussion of cybersecurity to a really practical, approachable. 
format, and I think that's really interesting. So, and maybe that's the yeah. Maybe you answered her question. Well, maybe that's the hopefulness. Yeah. is that for the first time since I started in this field about three years ago, average people are starting to really care. Mm -hmm. um, they're starting to be more interested in the way that their digital environment works. They're starting to want to understand better what to do. You know, I have family members calling me being like, is this a phishing email, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I do think that we could be at a tipping point in which we actually start to see this movement in favor of security rather than just in favor of internet functionality. Um, am I 100% convinced we're there? No, definitely not. But I, am I seeing some signs of hopefulness on that front? Definitely, and that's an exciting place to be. Wonderful. Dr. Cooper, thank you so much for joining us so today. This has be been here. a really great conversation. We're so glad that we could bring you listeners in on this as well. And if <laughs> maybe you're not watching this live, you're watching it later, we're going to be bundling up all of the discussions we had today in podcasts throughout the week. So keep it tuned right here to Tech Policy Grind. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Thanks. to be here. Bye. Bye.